Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey everyone, welcome back to Waypoint Sports and Sports Adjacent Podcast that sets out to disprove the notion that people alive dedicated to pixels jumping across the screen can't also be unhealthily interested in what nerds condescendingly refer to as sports ball every Super Bowl. Rob, I start off every episode with a new question. Hey, sports buddies, with the monuments done for the year and the Giro approaching fast, what are your thoughts and feelings on pro cycling? In my humble opinion, the best sport for spending the whole day on the couch is... Event poll, really God? Is Pogi going to be ready for the tour? Did Jumbo have a good classic season? Are you excited for the Tour de France show on uh, Netflix? Sign anonymous. Uh, those are all great questions. I, uh, if you'll give me a few, you hear like clattering of keys uh, as I frantically. Your mechanical come up with, keyboard betrays you. Betray- <laughs> oh yeah, no. Uh, Eventipol uh, is awesome. I think. Uh, they are going to be great on the cycling tour. <laughs> uh, so I, I will say this, though, Patrick. Um, yes. Every year, I do love leaving the TV on the Tour de France for like as much as possible because it is one of the most relaxing fucking telecasts in like in sports. It is like kind of it's golfish, right? Where it's just there's not a lot. There's very rare moments of loud spark, and I'm sure they occur, but like it is otherwise just kind of white noise. Well, not just that, but it's also like. You know, a lot of these stages, they're cycling through some of the most gorgeous countryside sure. yeah. Yeah. Uh, in the world. And so, like, and then huge number of shots. Because, yes, there are moments where, like, nothing is really happening. And so, do you like sheep? Do you like <laughs> livestock placidly watching the cyclists go whipping past? Because if you do, uh, you're going to get a lot of that, too. And so, like, I I, I love watching uh, the, the tour. And, and I will say, like, it doesn't take me long to start to get a little bit invested in it because the tactics of cycling are really interesting. Like, like uh, have you have you watched much, like cycling at all no i uh i think i've had it on in the background occasionally i mostly just like to read when the controversies happen because the controversies they which are, are which are of course related to the strategies and tactics are delightful to to read about like the different way you know the, like the, the blood trains like all the weird stuff that goes on with like the extreme end of cycling is fascinating to read about but i have not spent meaningful time actually watching the sport yeah, the, the 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 Lance Armstrong thing is is still one of the wildest cheating scandals. Uh, like, it, it really is more of a story of like organized crime, uh, almost. Well, did than, you like, read about the the the? Um, oh, I'm gonna just type in cycling lady cheating. There was a bit that just happened recently. Um, I'm gonna assume this is. Da, da, da. Oh, I wanted to find the quote. Basically, there was a a, a woman. Uh, it was uh, like long distance cycling, and 
they discovered when like checking like the, the 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 times that like hey this like one mile or whatever was way too fast for what yeah, it, yeah, what yeah, it yeah, should yeah, have yeah. been and um it turns out they got in a car for yeah. for a mile or so and their explanation was they were actually conceding the race they didn't want to do it anymore but then someone in the car said get out there and like finish finish this finish this race and they claimed they were heading back to then inform people that they had conceded the race and were just getting to the <laughs> to the finish line I, there's actually Okay, a hilarious story. My uh, uh, my my uh, brother-in-law one time was, uh, he's a big runner. My wife's a big runner. And they were doing, they were living in Seattle at the time. And so we flew up to visit them. And there was this like gorgeous marathon. Maybe it's just a half marathon, but you know, long distance uh, running. Like out in like a bunch of forests. It was just really, like just really beautiful and serene. And I run, but I do not do, I did one half marathon once to prove I could do it and said, did it. Don't ever need to do that again. Let's go back to three to five miles and, and be happy with it. And so they got to do this race. And my brother-in-law, like not long into the race, t- tweaks his knee. And it is just yeah. clear that this race is just not going to happen. He he tries to run on it and there is just nothing going. But because uh, it was a smaller race, there's not a lot of medical support. And so there wasn't someone immediately there. You do these bigger races. You people think races. They think the Chicago Marathon, the Boston yeah. Marathon. You like a lot of the races that like normal people are doing are like dinky little lo- local. Oh, organized we have a Lowell ones. Marathon that runs here, and like there are there are friends and family at the finish line. Yep. And then there's <laughs> a lot of nothing. Right, right, and there are like water stations and medical stations, and like th- yeah. those things exist, but they are not. If you were to twist, twist your knee, you know, like three miles into it, there's not necessarily going to be someone there to help you. And so he, like, limps along for, like, a mile or two thinking maybe it'll kind of feel better, and it doesn't. And so turns around and heads back to uh, the start to just probably get a beer with me and, and, and hang out and wait for my wife to finish the race. Well, because he's walking so slow and it's so painful – it ends up being at a pace that could be conceived as though you were finishing the race with like an incredible personal best. And so he comes around whatever corner, because I think it was a race where you were kind of just looping back around the way you came and everyone is on their feet. It's like, yeah, come on, buddy. Because what you do at the end of a race is people are exhausted and you're trying to imbue them with your energy. And so he realizes that everyone thinks he's finishing the race first and people are trying to psych him up. So his knee is in awful shape, but he finds he's like, it's more embarrassing to keep walking. So he just sort of like kind of jogs along just as a performance gets to the end. People are surrounding him, hugging him, giving him high fives. They put a medal on him as like the first finisher. And he's just not sure how to nav like explain to anyone what's going on until like finally like the crowd disperses and like he's t- to himself and he goes up to somebody at the place is like I actually blew out my knee like early in the race and like gave the medal back so it could be properly distributed to the person who actually ach- achieved it but it created Dude, that, but that's a nightmare because <laughs> you're right it, it so it was like a plausible time that mm-hmm. someone could have mm-hmm. done mm-hmm. but like it also would have been a remarkable feat for an amateur to pull off but like what what the fuck do you do when you turn the corner everyone's like holy shit <laughs> here comes here comes that man and it's like 
No, I'm not that man. I'm not. I'm. I, I'm. I'm hurt. I'm I, know. Bit, I'm I need help. Actually, if someone would come over here with a wheelchair, that would be more useful than the clapping. Uh. But you know, your brother's your brother's an entertainer. You also recognize like you can't like if the crowd's on its feet, you got to give them what they want. You got to give them what they want. They want to so. see it. They want. But anyway, so the, they all finish the thought on, on cycling. Is the thing I find so cool about it is it's. There's like a uh, game of diplomacy being played among the front runners mm-hmm. because like to break away from the pack, you need to work together. Right. So like the best cyclists need to sort of collaborate to open up a gap on the peloton and which is the huge pot of cyclists uh, that are that are in the race. The clusters that kind of form that like maybe don't make sense when you're watching. It happens in running too, like like people cluster as they as they work through the race. Well, the, the big cluster is the peloton. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's where the the massive riders is, and then you will have like a cluster of front runners who break away early. But then, as like the miles tick down for that stage, now this like little like group of collaborators who are like, all right, you're going to lead for a while and eat the wind resistance. We're going to tuck in behind you and like save energy, etc. And we'll continue pulling each other along as you get closer to the end. Now they're, and they're not really able to talk this through. It's not like game of diplomacy where you can like write notes to each other. There's just kind of like some signaling going on about like, at some point someone's going to be like, and now I would like to win this for myself. Yeah. But if you do it too early, the pod you are a part of will work together to drag you back down right like they will like if you (laughs) like if you can't dump them uh they will collaborate to pass you and possibly bury you uh suddenly you got four people pulling each other along and now you're the person out there alone cycling eating all the wind resistance and like the group of collaborators you were working with just bypass you because you you betrayed the group but then those remaining people are going to have the okay but like seriously when are we all going to turn on each other uh, and you have like sub alliances where like two people will be like, uh, there's a hill coming up and we are better hill riders than these people. So this is our moment to dump them. Uh, so like the tactics of cycling racing, it's like part race, part endurance race. But it's also very much like a game of risk where it's where it's like you do have alliances, but ultimately only one person can win this thing. Is there I guess maybe you know this better than me then is do you even want to be out front? Like, is there like is there is there an advantage to the first mover to being literally the head of the pack to be all the way at the front, or is actually the strategy to be in that like second or third wave and use those people as an advantage to conserve that energy towards the end? So like, people you would think like I want to be first place, but actually, do you want to be like seventh place and then like choose your moment to advance to first? Uh, there's only one advantage that comes from being in the front uh, when like uh, when you're not near the the finish line. And that is that your odds of being caught in an accident are much lower. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that because mm-hmm. like this is actually a bigger risk in the Peloton. Like this is the thing that makes cycling a little bit scary uh, is that like when you have uh, somebody gets knocked off or something, you have like really ugly chain reaction accidents uh, mm. in in the in the crowd. I feel that's and, like, more of what people see of like. <laughs> like this like endurance uh, uh, cycling is when a clip like that goes viral, especially when wasn't there one a couple years ago where in someone like and like holding a sign like it's constant. It's a sign. It's not, so this is a constant uh, in cycling. 
the courses are so long they can't be effectively policed, nor should they be, right? Like it's part of the charm of of yeah. uh, cycling and rally racing is that the crowd can like stand there right on the edge of the of the course and like almost feel the wind as the riders ride, ride past. But as you watch, as you see during a football game, uh, you know, like maybe you have a sideline or a boundary, people encroach on it, encroach mm-hmm. on it, and they're pressed forward by more people trying to get a view of the action, and the line sort of bends out into the playing field. That happens with cycling. Uh, and then there's also like yahoos who like start like running on the road alongside the cyclists uh, and the cyclists hate these fucking people. But like there are frequent risks of somebody getting ta- like tagged or caught up with a bystander and having a uh, ugly accident follow from that. And it doesn't take much to upset these cyclists uh, because obviously the speeds, the, the delicacy of of the balance just the the speed at which things go wrong is really fast the other thing they're up against is you've seen that um you know the peloton is always surrounded by camera bikes uh where you got people like riding on uh you got a rider and then a cameraman on the back uh like taking photos but then they're also surrounded by um team cars that have like replacement equipment and medical supplies and stuff uh and then they are surrounded by i think like team guys on like mopeds who will like come up and like hand deliver like you're out of water or something or you need to make an adjustment on your bike so like here's a tool so you can like affect a repair uh while you're up Jesus. and that means there's a lot of traffic and so like in the peloton you have a, a higher a much higher risk of being caught caught up in a in a bad crash uh at the, in, in the smaller like breakaway pods the odds of that are lower and no there's you really don't want to be in the front because wind resistance gets stronger as you pick up speed so to break away alone, you are paying such a cost in your own energy to put distance on the cyclists behind you who are going to be uh, sharing the load where it's like someone's they'll sort of rotate around who is up front and who is in back uh, because the people in the in the draft are dealing with just much less air resistance. Uh, and so they are remaining much fresher. You really do not. You, you really do not want to be in the front until you're like delivering the kill shot. Mm. Well, maybe I, that sounds like maybe uh, when we get closer to the Tour de France uh, in July, it sounds like there's a Netflix uh, documentary, which maybe is now is Netflix new big thing is like trying to just capitalize on different the sports. That can, thing. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. like golf has one full swing, uh, which I've heard is, is good. Um, I, I think I assume that's mostly about PGA, right? Um, yeah, I think I think so. Um, and uh, yeah, so I don't know. There's a there's a documentary coming in, in, in June. And I th- we have I've talked about this in the um, and in the newsletter a bit. But I, I think we have settled on a, a, a fun way of, you know, introducing different sports and navigating our own amateur interests like that, like spans uh, like different spectrums of, of knowledge and understanding and like having Jason on for baseball and uh, having Bob on for uh, basketball. Like, I think that's a good way that like, we'll just have to figure out someone we can bring on to explain to us cycling uh, and timing that up with the show and the race would be uh, a lot of fun. So now we just need to scroll through Twitter and who follows me and who's into who's really into cycling. I got to I got to I got to find that person. Um, let's do a quick tour of Chicago sports before we get into uh, the rest of the show. Uh, Rob, uh, in between the last podcast and this podcast, um, this was originally the question to start the show. And then I just really enjoyed the cycling one. But. Do you regret becoming a bandwagon Bulls fan for precisely the wrong season when they regularly engaged with the kind of heartbreaking mediocrity 
that we normally reserve for the Chicago Bears. The Bulls lost in a back-and-forth, decently fun game uh, against the Heat after escaping the first uh, uh, play-in game, uh, getting to the second play-in game, um, and then, frankly, having a... I think they had a five-point lead on the Heat going into the last couple of minutes. Um, It's not like they felt firmly in hand, but it certainly was not going to be shocking to see the Bulls come out of uh, that game uh, victorious, and instead I think they lost by seven (laughs) or something like that. Yeah, so, you know, honestly, I don't... I don't regret like going on that ride. Like it you was loved a, your scrappy. Like, t- you loved your shitty scrappy team. It was it was like a really fun six weeks, two months of watching this team <laughs> sort of clots. And like there were times they they looked like a surprisingly good. Like it was it was weird the teams they go toe toe with, and it was also weird the way they would lose games at times. Like uh, it was it was a ton of fun. I do think it was instructive especially against the heat it was instructive watching the way they fade you know like like they are a team that i think really struggles to answer the bell yeah uh they have they have they have trouble uh like when they do have an advantage they have really they have real trouble like maintaining sort of focus and intensity that will like just steal a team's will to compete Mm -hmm. uh you know they can't like they can't break anyone's break anyone's back uh, in, yeah, don't in be up five with three minutes to go. Be up eleven. Like sink another three and like just make it seem insurmountable and go into that back and forth in the final ninety seconds where you're just fouling and hoping the team is going to miss their free throws, which is just the desperation move that that you want to put a team in at the end. Well, and and then they also don't have that like when their back is against the wall. Is there someone they can rely on who's going to be like get on my back or like not tonight? Like it's not like this. We are not going out this way. It's supposed to be Levine. And Levine was in. Was that? He was that guy, was was that that guy, guy in the Toronto in, game? In and in then the he first, was the exact yeah. opposite of that guy yes. in the Heat game. And yes. like you compare that to Jimmy Butler ex Chicago oh, Bull. God, but like, don't get me started. It, I mean, the, this is is the difference between being like a really really good player and like sort of a centerpiece to to a team and being a star. Yeah. And Jimmy Butler is a star and. The Bulls don't really like DeMar might be that guy, but DeMar's getting a little like, you know, he's also he's aging. Older. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure he can be that that guy as much anymore. But you, you, you see a guy like Butler who can just turn it on uh, and, and has done that for years uh, in, in the playoffs. And that really does kind of bring into focus, you know, when you when. When you hear I was in denial about this, but when you hear people talking about like this team can't really advance very far, they don't have what is required. What is required is not the ability to win a random one off against even a really good team. Right. It is that ability to like put together a series and Mm -hmm. the Bulls are we're clearly far from from being that team. It was evident in their run at the end of the season that they couldn't string a ton of like quality games together. It was clear there in the play in that they had one terrific game uh, and then one where they just kind of like uh, melted down against the heat. And, you know, by comparison, last night when recording this, uh, we saw the heat deal with what could have been a really scary moment for them in this first round of the playoffs, which is that um, Giannis Tetekunpo came back from injury and he is, and they've lost two players. They, I forget the uh, they lost a guard, Tyler Hero, well, Tyler and, Hero, um, and uh, yeah, the uh, the guy whose oh, knee went out, um, Oda. Mm, I'll look it up. But yeah, like two, two, like two, like 
you know, Hero especially a key player to their offensive scoring. Um, and like they already came in as a team with not a ton of depth. Like the team is Jimmy Butler and some pieces uh, around him. Um, and whereas opposed to the Bucks, part of their big appeal is that they are yes, they have the the superstar at the center, but they also are like have incredible depth, like just lots of players who can slot in and in theory should have been able to sweep away the heat uh, without too much trouble, um, despite the fact that they um, may have lost, uh, you know, their big guy for for a couple of games. Um, so it put the, the Bulls... Victor Oladipo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it was, it, that was a heartbreaking injury because it was like one, it was the... You know it's a bad injury when people are immediately crying yeah. uh, and guys from the other team also look gutted. Yeah. Because uh, like, he's a veteran. People know he's like trying to... He's trying to stay in the league. He's a really good player, but he's he, he's got a he's got a bum knee. Um, and it was like very clear to everyone that this this you know this might be the injury, right? Um, and so it was like everyone out there just looked uh, horrified, um, which was was really upsetting. But also, it's left the Heat in a really vulnerable position. And yeah, like Giannis coming back, this sort of felt like uh, you know we were in the group chat with Austin uh, last night. Austin's you know I think was speaking for a lot of folks when it sort of felt like, well, Giannis is going to come back and the Milwaukee Bucks are just going to win this thing. Yep. And, you know, it was really kind of a must win situation because, you know, you could expect Giannis might have a slow first game back, but he'd still be back, but he will probably gain, he'll probably gain in power uh, with each game back if he can sort of stay healthy. Uh, and so, you know, the Bucks looked like they were going to comfortably run away with that game. And then Jimmy Butler just has this historically great performance. Yeah, I think it would. He had a uh, fourth overall points, 57 uh, points, I think, uh, something like that. Yeah. 56. Um, yeah. Fourth overall behind like Jordan. Tied, uh, tied with Jordan's number two playoff performance, I think. Of course. Uh, behind the his number one all time playoff performance, which I think was 63 points uh and tied with uh charles barkley um so yeah like a, a tremendous performance i asked people on twitter last night like if you were bucks fans like are you pissed at how this played out or is it like you just caught a bad break right because like for me standing distant from this i don't have a dog in this fight really and so i can just sort of see it's like oh this is like in like Greek myth where the gods just sort of imbue the spirit of this, this warrior, uh, you know, with their strength. And he just like, you know, kills a million dudes like this to me. It's like, this is kind of what happened. Like Jimmy was just like in that zone and he was, uh, you know, he was just on a different, a different plane of athletic existence last night. And sometimes it goes that way, right? Like sometimes guys have like, you know, lights out games and, there's not much you can do. Let me tell you, Bucks fans are pissed. Uh, they do not take it <laughs> philosophically in that in that way. And I think a lot of it is um, they don't like their coach. This was the big this was the big complaint I was seeing from Bucks fans. And I well, they, they didn't. They, they, there was that controversy coming even out of the championship season yes. a couple of years back. Was oh shit? Did we just back our way into keeping a coach that is actually going to prove to be? Not like a, a ceiling raiser, but like is 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 you know is is Did hurting we get Mike our McCarthy, over- but for basketball. Yeah, well, I mean, there was even a worry about this, you know, to you know, selfish react to the Bears. It's like they draft Justin Fields, and it's like ah fuck. I mean, yes, 
let's go. But also, if Fields has like a breakout rookie year, ah, oh shit, we're stuck with the, the bad GM and the coach like that we want to get rid of. And so, yay, Fields, but like, eh, about like the infrastructure and the coaching staff he's being surrounded by. And, you know, I, that is, I, I remember hearing that. And it was kind of, you know, winning, you know, gets rid of everything like it heal it heals all wounds and that was a incredible performance that year where Giannis also like he had that like ankle injury I believe yeah, that he looked, was hurt he was hurt for that final it looked like a season like he won't be back until a couple of months into the following season and he came back like a game later and was just superhuman um in in agility and so I I would not be shocked if uh that is the sentiment among Bucks, uh, Bucks fans, and and maybe you want the first round, you know, long term, like you want the first round exit so that you could you could address the coaching issue in the off season. A first, yeah, a first, yeah, right. Like a first round exit would, like the Bucks. Most people regarded the Bucks as by a, a meaningful margin the best team in the East. Them and the Celtics, and like that's like pretty much like however you want to shake those two out, and the, the Celtics look a little shakier at different points. Yeah, season, I, I'm not like, sure. I'm not sure if people are like, yeah, yes, like it was it was sort of between those two, but I, I feel like the the Bucks look like the more consistent team. But yeah, uh, you know, a first round exit would it would be one of those like the flares are being fired off from the deck of the sinking ship, right? Where it's like well, they can lose it at home. You right? can't deny like, this is happening, yeah. right? Like they they the the you know the heat wins. Uh, on their home turf, and then they go back to Milwaukee on Wednesday for an elimination game for the Bucks. And it's like, if Butler has a similar type of performance, however it shakes out, if they lose at home first round, I mean, that's just that's the those are the the losses that sting and linger and maybe produce the kind of change because you're not going to blow up the team necessarily. I don't know what their cap situation is, but like. I know that, like you know, uh, Giannis isn't going anywhere. Like he saw, he signed no. a long term deal not that all that not all that long ago. Um, so, like, oh yeah, he's the franchise. Budenholzer's nobody. Yeah, like they could like, and that and that's the thing, right? Like he he rode that championship, which really was like they were riding on Giannis's back, uh, and so he sort of you know rode that into a, you know an extension, a long a longer term coaching gig, but. You know, the the thing is, you know, people were pointing out, yeah, Jimmy Butler had a good performance, but, like, he was kind of alone out there for a good portion of that game. Like, this isn't like... That's the heat, though. That And also, this is what Butler has done, even yeah. in the bubble season, right? Right when they took the Lakers uh, nearly... That was that was Lakers' heat was the, yeah. the finals, right? Like, this is just what Butler... Yeah. I think the Heat have a good coach, and they have Jimmy Butler, who in the postseason... If they can just get to the postseason... Butler just goes there are just some players that play differently and and maybe that is a like a load management issue it's a hey I've done this for so long it's just hard to muster the like the energy until you till it really matters and once you've tasted the postseason once you've tasted finals it's like you know you see this with the Warriors right like like when they were you know have been at their heights like they're just fucking with people during the regular season because what's the point it nothing matters till you get to the to those first rounds and so the the heat have never really surrounded Butler with like an incredible surrounding cast of characters it's it's just enough and then he is incredible and I think this year they were supposed to they I think they certainly felt like they had surrounded him with enough 
uh, and the injuries have turned it once again into a Jimmy Butler show. Yeah. But I think there, there, it, it does sort of seem like people feel like uh, Boone Alter will just sort of watch the game get away from his team and not be able to intervene to like Mm -hmm. Jimmy Butler's killing you and you kind of just let him go out there and kill you rather than like figure out a way, like send guys out to shut him down, leave one of the other, you know, he players open who cares, but like stop Jimmy. But I think the other thing, you know, is easy to overlook with that Butler performances. He was getting them in foul trouble. You couldn't cover him because guys were going to get ejected if they tried to stop him. Yeah. Which is what he's really good. Like that's, one of Butler's like best qualities as a player is his ability to draw fouls from the opposing team. He does so much damage. I mean, obviously, like the flashy threes he was hitting back to back, like towards the so end that there. Was the the but that's not his shot. main game. Like like yeah. that that like effortless. I think you know the one I'm talking about. Like this sort of like effortless three that just felt like he was just feeling the moment, and it was not necessarily a shot he should take. He just took it. And the way it sunk in and it the was stadium the back-to-back, exploding. Yeah, the back-to-back threes, one of them turned out to be two points because his foot was on the line. But yeah. like when that happened back-to-back, I was like, this game might be over. Yeah. Like, it's just like... It's I don't care that the, it's a two-point game. It's just the the vibes are on one team. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you're just, you're just watching like the sort of disbelief, uh, on the, on the box. So like it was, it was a great game. It was, uh, like, you know, there've been a lot, there's been a lot of fun in, in this playoffs. It's been a, it's been a, a, a really fun playoffs. I would say we got a great game after that, uh, or, or a really good game, but I, it couldn't help but feel a little anticlimactic for me after like the emotional high of the heat game. But I do love just the overall narrative of the uh, Grizzlies Lakers uh, series and the degree to which the degree to which this has started to like take on the character of a really ill-advised grudge match mm-hmm. for, for, for the Grizzlies. Uh, you know, I think we, we, we got to talk about after the, the Grizzlies missing John Morant, who's, you know, the star player, this really acrobatic, uh, you know, dr- driving the paint uh, style player after he gets hurt. Uh, everyone's kind of expecting that the Grizzlies are going to fold up like tent. And they beat the Lakers, but then we have that infamous uh, press conference with Dylan Brooks, <laughs> yeah. in which, like, wearing sunglasses, essentially, I think he says, "I'm going to poke the bear." Call no, he says, "I poke bears." I That's poke what bears. I do. That's what I do. Um, and this was after they they scored their their one now sole win against the Lakers in this series, and essentially says, "Like LeBron, you're old. Like your time has come. Like." New t- new players are here, and like the idea of like a younger player being testy to an older player is is not new. That is like the like part of the joy of basketball that like me you and Austin talk about all the time in like our group chats. Like, damn, I wish like football, like the sport that we like a little bit more or are more per- like personally emotionally invested in. Like, I wish it had more of this like WWE edge that you get in basketball all the time because there's so many just colorful characters who are ill-advisedly talking shit. And this is one of those moments. And it's like, look, LeBron is old. You can see it on the court. Like he is constantly picking his moments because for reserving energy and also because he just does not have it. Like he's 37, 38. Um, Like he's old. Like it comes for all of us, even, even him. And it just like, that was so ill-advised. That was like putting, you can put your finger to the wind. Like, "Mm, Oh, he's going to regret doing that. And the fact that in this game, like 
the, the quintessential LeBron moment in a game where he wasn't, he was, he was doing what he could to the best of his ability, but it was not one of those like star making LeBron take over the game. He was very much like role player, like letting, setting other people up. But in the end, when they needed it, like he took the ball, he drove it in, got the two points they needed and he did it against that fucker. And like, that and is Andrew, just Andrew the foul, right? And drew he, the he, didn't foul, make, like, he didn't make the foul shot, which would have really put it away, but he did draw it. Uh, I, I will say this though, like it is, LeBron doesn't fully have it, but the weird thing is in some ways playing defense in basketball is more physically demanding, right? Because you're mm-hmm. like, you have to be super reactive. Uh, you know, you kind of, you, you kind of have to be matching the energy of the guys you're on. Uh, I would say like, even when he's like, like sort of carefully measuring out his energy on offense, I've been struck by how frequently he is just shutting dudes down on defense and like swatting shots, like swatting mm-hmm. balls out of the air. And it seems to take a real satisfaction in it too, right? And like the, the you know the knock against players like Russell Westbrook, who like separately is having like they're going to lose that series because the team has been just decim- the Clips have been decimated by injuries. But like he has shown a rejuvenated sort of like a player in in this series. Yeah. But the knock against Westbrook has always been look. You're going to spend your 20s like like at your peak athleticism and then your 30s are going to hit and you got to figure out, am I going to change who I am as a player to adapt to what teams want from me, teams can get out of me and what I can put into the game? And you have someone like LeBron who's been able to put that off longer than most. But I think you have seen, even in this series alone, his his ability to just adopt a different position where like the ball is running through him. He is still a central force, but... How many times have we seen him where he could have gone up and he dumps the pass to a guy to take an open three? And I don't know, like, that all players of his caliber and, well, like, longevity would necessarily be able to, like, kind of ego check themselves. So this a is interesting. Bit. I was listening to um, uh, The Right Time, a Bonnie Jones podcast, and he was talking about that actually LeBron was always a guy who preferred to pass than shoot. Uh, he was sort of described, like, you know, Unlike Jordan, who sort of emerged relatively late in his life as a star, right? Mm-hmm. Like he shows up as a basketball prodigy, but he was not identified from like, you know, junior high days as a future NBA star. That's not where it started for, for Jordan. So Jordan's like formative experience of being a basketball player is realizing like I'm the best guy out here and I am just going to slaughter these dudes. And so he is a guy who like put the ball in my hands. I will, I will, uh, you know, everything runs through me. I'm going to win this game. LeBron, it all happens earlier, and uh, Jones's theory, at least, was like that the people he's playing with are also his social set. These are his friends, mm-hmm. and so you know he realizes fairly early, I'm the best guy out here. But nobody really likes the dude who's just like stunting on everybody, uh, you know. And so he uses his skill to give the ball around and let other people like have their star turns. And it was actually second nature to him. Like with, like in the literal sense to be the get on my back. I'm going to go win this for us. His primary identity was always, I'm going to distribute that. I'm going to be a playmaker rather than a scorer. I'm going to eat looks where it's like, I'm going to get two people defending me, which then opens you up for the shot that I could try and bustle my way through and draw the foul. Or I could just give you the, the open look. Right. So I, I do think in some ways this has been like a uh, return to a a style he's very comfortable with. The other thing that I think now that you are seeing Anthony Davis in an odd period of being 
healthy late in the year, mm-hmm. uh, which has been the the uh, real weakness of that team. You do really like I for me it like it's so much clearer now why LeBron was so desperate to get that guy into his team. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he was made, when when the Anthony Davis sweepstakes were open when he was in uh, New Orleans. What I saw when I looked at Anthony Davis was like an incredible offensive player. Um, he was just an incredible athlete, uh, you know, could outsize, uh, you know, defenses, also a hell of a shooter. Like he's just very tough to stop. What's so clear here is he's also a very big guy and a tough defender. And so LeBron doesn't always have to be the guy going up under the net uh, to protect the rim. His arms are so long. He's like, there are times where like, you don't notice it when you're watching it in real time, but when they'll like replay some sort of block that he managed to like finagle his arm around, like it reminds me like I'm watching some sort of Dark Souls boss where it's just like the flailing arms like coming around well, and they smack the ball. And it's just it, it's 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 not off putting. It's just you don't the, the, the way you sense his body when it is like slowed down where you can see those movements. He's just. He's constructed uniquely. Well, um, also the crazy wingspan and long inseam make you miss how thick he is in the center too. Like sure. he, he's got the proportions of like a bit of a scarecrow man, right? But then you watch like <laughs> big dudes going up against him under the rim, and they hit him, and they bounce off because like for all his proportions, he's also like a really solidly built guy and he's really big. <laughs> yeah. And so there, there is that aspect of, yeah, like you have to get around, uh, these like, you know, the, this wind, this human windmill, uh, that's in front of you. But also if you try to go through him, unless you're a handful of players, you probably don't have the size just to like, go take him for a ride. Uh, so yeah, that, that was the, the last game that we watched last night. The, the, the end was incredible. Like I don't, ha- I don't have strong, pro or against like LeBron feelings like I think I think the playoffs are more fun when he's in it um like I don't I don't see him as an easy villain necessarily I understand why people maybe don't like him um he's no like he's not perfect but like the playoffs are better when LeBron is in it and it's more fun watching like him will that I don't think they're gonna win the finals I don't think they're gonna go all the way I think at some point you know Anthony Davis is gonna tweak his foot and like LeBron just doesn't have the ability to put that whole team on his back anymore, maybe for a game or two, but not for like two whole series. Well, um, yeah, you know, I would agree, except I'm also like, hang on. Uh, it feels like the teams that would be, if I'm the Lakers, the teams I would be most worried about um, are also in really bloody shootouts right now. Well, that's the thing. There is no, there is really no powerhouse on on that side, uh, right? Like on on the East, you know, you know, notwithstanding the Bucks kind of imploding against the Heat at the moment, but like the Bucks are in a, a great team, well rounded. The Celtics are a great team, well rounded. Seventy Sixers a little top heavy, but like well rounded, excellent players. Like, and then then you get into like the Cavs Knicks territory of like they're fun, but you know, like sort of need to, to prove themselves. Like on the West, like I guess it's the Nuggets. Like, the Nuggets are probably the only powerhouse team that anyone should be, like, pretty mortally afraid of playing. Especially but after because that, their home like, court is at altitude, which right. is... But after yeah. that, it's like Grizzlies, Kings, Suns, Clippers, Warriors, Lakers, Timberwolves. Like, you can poke huge holes in all of those teams um, in a way that is just a little less true on, on the Eastern Conference. So you're right that 
maybe you don't need a superhuman performance from them because what? Like, I think there's a scenario where the Lakers and Warriors would play next. Like, well, yeah. So, um, the, so the way the bracket is constructed, they're going to play the winner of uh, Kings Warriors. And here's the thing: if they put the and it certainly looks like Morant is injured again because his whole style of play is I'm going to go cartwheeling into the air uh, at the net and then I'm going to hit somebody and go like face planting into the yeah, ground. Look at this. Look at the, the, char- the charge that he takes against LeBron and like and he, he does it again and again. Like his style is amazing to watch. It's like a, yeah. it is like a superhero comic, but it does not seem like built for longevity. And his arm is uh, it was already hurt once this this playoff yeah. is hurt again. Uh, it looks like he might not be. I don't know what the what his condition is going to be, but it looks like it looks like uh, the Lakers are probably going to put Memphis away in the next game. Sacramento Golden State, which has been an amazing series, have loved every second of the series. That might go to seven games, but at the very least, uh, it's going to six because it's tied Mm -hmm. 2-2. So both these teams have to play two more games. The Lakers might only have to play one. I think the Lakers have a really good chance of, like, I think the Lakers would have to fear both those teams. But if they're coming in much more rested, uh, I think that could be really helpful. Especially, like, do 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 you rest... LeBron, like for the, do you think that the Lakers like can? Or do you th- I think they rest LeBron if if it is clear the Grizzlies are showing the white flag, right? right? Like I think that like I think it is more valuable though to have him go play his ass off if you can put this series away in the next game, right? Right. Uh, like that's that, that I think is the is the absolutely critical factor. Play because it's, more it's game, wild. The six, the seventy sixers the only ones that swept. And like watching, I feel, you know, again, I'm not, you know, a basketball historian, but like the level of exhaustion I've seen in a bunch of these games. And then you see the 76ers like having already put it away and they're resting. Like, and the notion that these teams are staring down the barrel of three or four more of these games by the time the 76ers are done. Like, I don't think you can overstate when you watch some of these over, like where I think in overtime with the, with the Lakers, like, uh, Davis got fouled and went to the to the foul line and basically like couldn't lift his legs like he was just, the energy didn't exist he was out there he was moving but like done like what just needs to get to the end of this game so he can sit his ass down and the fact that you have only one team where they're gonna get you know another three four days of rest depending on how far these different series goes like cannot be overstated like given the the pace at which. Not just these games are played, but then played again, like for the next in the series. Yeah, I am. I am so curious what impact uh, that has. But I will say, like Philly may not get the advantage you would think off that because um, Boston pretty decisively put their foot down on Atlanta in the last game. Yes. Uh, it was not a particularly fun game no. to watch. And it had the feeling of a Atlanta had their best shot. And that was cute, it, kid. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> go home. But now it's now it's over. And so I think uh, Philly, Boston is I mean, that might be that might be the east right there. Uh, if, if 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 Milwaukee gets knocked out here, uh, which I think. I have a hard time seeing them win three in a row against the Heat. Like, do I think they're still the better team than the Heat? Yeah. But do I think the Heat in any three game series can get one. Yes. Yeah, I do. I, do. I, I, do. I think they can. I, I think they're pretty much a lock for one and they get to go home at least one more time. Right. Like, yeah. so like it's going to be Milwaukee, Miami, Milwaukee. And I just, 
ignore game seven. Like between those two games, I, I think they're going to get one of those and put that put that away. I, I think it is probably and we'll see, you know, you know, Giannis, like he's playing hurt. Like I think you had mentioned, you know, uh, privately that like the only way for him to get better for this particular injury that he has is literally to not do anything. And he's doing the exact opposite of that. And so like, I don't know that he's healing between these games, you know, and then you're traveling. Like there's just well, a lot can't stacked train against much, him. Uh, right. In between the games. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's going to be, it's going to be tough. Uh, yeah. I, I think it's, it has been an absolute blast of the playoffs. I think um, probably my favorite of these series has been uh, Sacramento Golden State. Um, yes. And I'm, I, I super don't know how this one comes down. And no. I don't even know how I want it to come down. Because, like, Sacramento is so much fun. Uh, and I don't necessarily have, like, Warriors fatigue. Like, to a degree, after, after a, a cast of characters have been around for a while, you start to just enjoy the familiar. Ah, uh, there goes Draymond. That's what, yeah, I don't want to lose that. I, so right. I, I, you know, I, I lived in San Francisco for a while. I kind of adopted them as just, uh, I was not replacing the Bulls, but it's like, it's, I live here, like it's my second home. I'm going to sort of like get into cheer, like actively cheering for them as opposed to uh, just, it's the team in the city, city that I live in. And they were a fun story at the time because they were ascendant in that way. Um, and I think people, yeah, I, I don't have the fatigue on them necessarily. And part of what makes them fun to root for now is because they are so clearly a diminished version of themselves. This is yeah. not, you know, the, the the super team that was chasing like the Bulls, like like single season record sort, sort of like, you know, from six years ago. Like these are players who can put it on but like it's and, and I'd say Draymond is like a guy who should should be washed at this point, And yet. Occasionally, he has defensive series where it's just you might be the best defensive player in the league, man. Like he can't do it all the time, but he is still able to put it on. Curry can sink these shots that just still don't make any sense, even though I've seen them a billion times. And they're just a fun team to watch. And then I also get the little Bulls connection because of Steve Kerr, and like that makes that makes me happy to see him on the sideline coaching the team because he's a very likable coach. Like he is hard to root against, and so. I don't know. Like I'm, I'm with you that uh, I had maybe. Uh, I wonder if I can find this question uh, here because this actually relates to this. Okay, so um, this comes in from Dan in St. Louis. Uh, Hello, my question for the sports bot is related to teams that you root for either throughout the season or when your team is eliminated from the playoffs. Do you continue to watch the playoffs, and if so, do you choose a new team to root for? For myself, I tend to either root for the team that my team lost to. If they win, surely we could have won if we had beaten them instead, right? or to root for one or more of the teams remaining with the longest title drought. I tend to find sports dynasties of multiple championships in the last five to ten years fun to root against, though their success can be pretty grating. Cough, Brady, cough. I live in St. Louis, which has a weird dynamic with championships, with the Cardinals coming in second behind the Yankees for total number of World Series championships, and the Blues having won their first Stanley Cup in 2019 after 50 years when they entered the league. That being said, it's rare to have a season where one of these teams is not in the playoffs. Postseason games are filled with tension and excitement and are pretty fun to watch even when your team is not involved. Just wanted to hear how you consume the postseason. Thanks. I think how that relates to this discussion here, and I don't know where you fall on this, but like, are are you when you're watching this, Are do you have an active interest in trying to find a team you want to stick to? Or like, you have storylines you like, you have teams you like, you have players you like. But like I settled early on as like, the Kings could be my team. I don't know if I can actually sit here with a straight face and tell you 
I think they can make to the finals and win. I don't, I don't think that's true. But like, if I got to pick one on the dartboard that like I'm actively rooting for, despite evidence to the contrary of like what could happen, like the story of the Kings is so delightful that they sort of are my team that like I have picked, even if I have other teams that I'm like obviously interested in watching. Yeah, I um, I used to almost always at some point in the game I would just like. Whatever game is in front of me, I would sort of pick a team that I'm like, I want this team to win now. Like for whatever reason, the style of play, there's a story with them. I, I'm I'm pulling for them. Uh, I'm I'm less a there, there's teams just I that I genuine I generally like season to season. Uh, the Baltimore Ravens are are one such team. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think increasingly I like. There are so like I hate to do the cliche of I just want a good game, <laughs> but I think like the Warriors Kings is a really good example of this. Of I am thrilled if either of these teams win because both of them are really fun in different ways. Yeah. Like the Warriors do have this great like it's a great it's a familiar cast of characters. They do their iconic things. Uh, Draymond is a defensive beast, but also a huge asshole. Uh, you know, Curry is that explosive, uh, you know, both the shooter and then the ability to sort of get underneath, uh, and like sort of stretch the defense that way. Like all that, all that stuff is in play. It's a lot of fun. But on the other hand, the Kings, for one thing, like that, that fan base seems awesome. That, that venue seems really cool. I love the fact they got a little laser beam that shoots into space when they win. Uh, I, you know, I, I really like those some of their their young players uh, like, you know, Malik Monk, uh, you know, emerging as just a as a, as a powerhouse is is awesome. Um, you know, De'Aaron Fox, like the, the like guy like watching these guys have these tremendous games on this big stage has been a ton of fun. And I get excited for the thought of like seeing them go on a run. And seeing like this team get that like playoff run experience and sort of bring the Kings out of the NBA wilderness into being sort of a, a team that people are excited to to watch. I also became a I I really loved um you know, I also like that they got a chippy player like Sabonis. Uh, mm-hmm. I loved the fact that like you know, he got into it with uh with, with Draymond. You need you need one of those play like although I think Sabonis is I think Green is is in his head now. Like Sabonis has sort of been neutralized okay. I think ever since the ejection from uh game 2 and like Sabonis has not been the same player since that moment, which is the advantage like Draymond is like does the dirty work and like gets under player's skin. Curry does that in a different way because he just deflates you like a balloon. We're like you can do everything right, and he could be like basically at half court and sinks a shot like it's effortless. And like the way those two complement, the way you psychologically psych out a team, compl- like alongside like in football, we are increasingly seeing that home field advantage doesn't mean anything. There are there are instances when in which I think it ha- plays a factor. But broadly speaking, not that every place is a neutral field, but it, there used to be a, an era in which. It, it really was important or could or felt like you could sway things that is still more true in basketball, right? Like, you know, like when they warriors play at home, it's just different. I don't know if that's the team. I don't know if it's the crowd, but like the, the record shows it. They were abhorrent on the road all regular season. And the reason they're in the playoffs 
is because then they would suck it up and they would kick ass at home. And they got their, you know, kind of got pushed around to the two games in Sacramento. And then they come home and they're just a different kind of a kind of team. And it's it's wild to watch. Well, the Kings and Sacramento were still really close. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was why I was really certain the Kings were going to win this thing because I felt like the Warriors losing two heartbreakers like that was like, how do you how do you come back? I think, you know, the thing I loved about <laughs> loved is okay. Here's why I liked Draymond stepping on a guy. <laughs> uh, I think if you look at it from just like the arc of a series and like this is the great thing about seven game series, right? There's the entire, like the mental battle that takes shape between the two teams as plots. But one of the things like Sabonis and and, and Draymond are both like physically imposing players. They're kind kind of instigators, but the thing about like, if you're going to take a cheap shot and get a, get a, get a bad penalty, if you're going to do that, sometimes it's like at least make it worth it, right? Like don't like don't do it, don't do it just because like you completely lost your cool. Like put the fear in that man. Yeah, and I think Draymond put the fear in that man. Yeah, and he paid he paid the he paid the toll. He got suspended. Like it was an objectively poor decision for the Warriors for him to do that, right? Like they 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 couldn't afford him to sit a game except. They could. The team answered the bell. Right. And like dominated that first game at home. And then Draymond came back and looked great. And Sabonis did not look as mm-hmm. great. Now, I admired that Sabonis was like after they were asking him about like what he thought of Draymond doing that. And he was like, it's basketball. And, you know, you know, got like great players just get into it sometimes. And I, and I dug that. I love that he yes. didn't. Pl- clutch his pearls and be like, I don't know what that was. Well, that's, that's just not, playing that's not- into Draymond's hand, frankly. Like he he is a like Rodman esque like over the top performer, and like not that that's going to diffuse Draymond necessarily, but you're not gaining anything by you know you know poking the bear so no but i i I, like but you know as opposed to brooks like giving that like cutting that horrible promo (laughs) sabonis kind of took the line of like hey it's it's war out there yeah and like sometimes there like sometimes there's going to be casualties sometimes shit happens i will yeah i'm 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 happy to take part in the battle and so i I dug that i i i like a lot of things about the about this team and so like for me it's i don't want to see either of these teams get eliminated sadly one of them will have to be i hope we get seven games out of it uh I suspect if it goes seven games, the Lakers are going to clean up whatever like exhausted, depleted team shows up. Uh, But it's been it's been a great series. And this is this is an example of like. Normally, I can identify like ah, this is a team I I, kind of want to see, you know, go forward This is a team I'm going to adopt. And here I'm 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 fully in on. uh, These are both just great teams, great teams to watch and uh, genuinely. I'm sitting there sort of like a reed in the wind being like, oh, but I, I want to see the Kings go forward. Oh, no way. I want to see the Warriors go. And I'm just having a great time. Well, and I as much as I want, you know, personally rooting for the, the Kings, just because it just seems like it'd be something like the, the the beam stuff is great. The Beam's fan great. The fan, the fan base uh, is is electric. Um, but man, like the Warriors. Yes, you're. I understand what you're saying where like maybe they could just come in and clean it up, but I don't know. Like those if there are two like 
slightly aging titans of like a like the, the, the defined I what I, I think know. of basketball over the last ten years. It's LeBron and Curry. Like they are the like column A and column B of what basketball was of the last ten years, and like they would get it up for a series. And like I. In some ways, that would be like a finals in and of itself to watch those two teams at like the ages they're at, the circumstances those teams are in. I think those games would be fucking tremendous um, because I, I don't I don't think Curry and LeBron have a, a right like a antagonistic rivalry necessarily. I don't get that vibe from the two of them. I think they're like competitive players that respect each other, but you know, man, throw them into a mix and like the current situation with those two teams, like, oh, that could be yeah, good. And do, like, this is the, this is the other thing is like, I get, you know, hockey has this too and the playoffs are, are going hockey and it's been, you know, it, I watched some of it. it it's fine. I'm, I'm less into hockey uh, these days. So I'm less invested in the Blackhawks, yeah. uh, you know, is, is a big part of it. But, um, you know, this playoffs and just basketball in general, you make you kind of realize football rivalries ain't shit. No, because these teams face like first of all, there's so so much turnover that like you know two years apart, it's not the same teams facing each other effectively. Like the marquee players are, but like you know it's it's different cast of characters. But also a one game playoff game, there's just no room for like real enmity to develop real like teams to really suss each other out and like have that. And it's, and there's so many, there's so many guys on the field that it's just not that personal, like, Oh, we're the gladiators. And it's the two of us now that are going to square up for this fight. And it's going to well, turn it's, the it's hard, right? Like you'll get like a Brady Manning, right? Like, like it's like a, a thing can establish right. over a longer period of time. I feel like we're in the, uh, I think, I feel like the chiefs Bengals, have a thing going where like they are just matching a, a blow to blow in some of yeah. these playoffs in the last couple of years. Like those teams are fun to like to watch uh, each other uh, go at it. Like, um, but yeah, you're right. Like it's, it's the lack of helmets. It's the, like the intimate, there's an intimacy to the physicality in basketball because it's just dudes in shorts, like, and their hands are on each other. Like it's, it's as though you're taking like the offensive and defensive lines of football and like yeah. that's all that happens is just those two lines because there's the similar intimacy there but yeah. no one's paying attention to that when you watch a football game unravel like unless a guy sneaks through for a sack like that's so much of football happens in those lines and defines everything about a play but your eyes are drawn to the quarterback and the receivers who are running out. Um, well, and, and it's the, also just not like the defensive player can then turn around and okay, well now our team has the ball and I'm going to be the one who you know ta- takes it to the house. Like, but that's also not the, the, like the, ta- the taunting is so neutered oh, yeah. in in football. Like there are taunting rules in basketball. It is not as though it is like completely, but I, the, it is you are capable of doing more. There is a like what you can't do is like what happened. Uh, you know, like uh, who's like stood over the other player. Uh, um, that ha- that has happened during yeah, these playoffs. Yeah, I know, I know. It happened this playoff. I was it LeBron? But did that happen with LeBron? I can't remember. Um, no, but there was who kicked up. He kicked up. Uh, let me. Let me oh, that was Embiid. That was that was Embiid, right? Yes. Yes. Jo- Joel Embiid got uh, early in the first quarter of one of the recent games. Like one of the I forget which player stepped over him and clearly was Claxton. staring. Yes, and was clearly staring him down. Was trying to incite. Like Embiid probably shouldn't have responded with the kick, but like. 
That's what you can't do. It's why, like, I, I fucking love how inventive players have had to get with the three-point shoot hand thing that they're going to do afterwards. There's this, like, rising tide of, like, different players doing something weird with their hands and their fingers because you can't taunt the, a player specifically, but you can do a reaction, like, as you're go, like going into transition down the court. And, again, now I'm blanking on whatever player it was who was asked, like, what's with the hand, like, what hand thing are you doing? He's like, don't worry about it. I just didn't want to explain it. Like, I don't know if it's because it's embarrassing or he likes to keep his secrets, but I, lo- I love that shit. And that is that only really exists in basketball. Um, and again, like also is something that develops over the course of a series because it becomes kind of its own arc as opposed to, you know, like the, the one off of a football where it's just it's just difficult for that to to occur. Um we have to head to a break in a moment. We could probably keep the bring the NBA chat to a close, but uh, before we do that, uh, I'm looking through the rest of these. Like I have not really paid attention to Nuggets Timberwolves. It just feels like the Nuggets have been extremely good, and I haven't had to pay attention to what's happening in that series. But the other one that has caught my eye because it's just been delightful to watch from a fan base perspective is Cavs Knicks um, because I can't really name many players on the Knicks, uh, but. They're a fun every time I've got them on, they're a fun team to watch. And much like I want LeBron in the playoffs, like the NBA seems better when Knicks fans are feeling it. Um I don't have real animosity towards the Knicks well, as a Alright, so you hear that a lot, but I think that's also because so much sports media is like centered in New York. Like sure. you like there is so much like, man, games better when the New York Knicks are good. And uh guess what team I haven't really thought about? For about 15 years. <laughs> the Knicks, yeah. Uh, and I've been I've been fine. But <laughs> I will say, like, but I do think I do I do love that when the Knicks are good. I guess it's more like the Knicks. You need a less fan base that you don't see much of anymore. And it's less the Knicks as much as like it's fun to watch the garden explode. I guess yes. that's that's yes. I guess exactly. maybe what I'm what I'm getting more specifically at is like I don't give a shit about the, the Knicks. The people who show up to the garden though. Yes. Like it is fun to watch the garden lose. It's mine. It's fun. It seems like they get into, like, the celebrities that show up to watch the Knicks are more invested in being Knicks fans than the celebrities that show up to the Lakers because the Lakers are more of, like, a cultural destination. Like, yes, it's fun to watch, like, Spike Lee fucking <laughs> losing it on the side, like, when the camera cuts to him, like... It makes me happy. Like, like, and and I see. I feel like you see more of that at a Knicks game than you do at a Lakers game. So I guess, yeah, I, whatever the Knicks or whatever. But the Knicks fans, the the, the stadium they play well, and in, you just get so many delightful New York weirdos outside the Garden mm-hmm. uh, when the Knicks are good, uh, just losing their minds at every good like because they're so starved for positive feedback. Yes. Uh, about their team. Uh, yeah, it's like I think it is. It will. It would be fun to see. Uh, like play more playoff relevant and like exciting basketball being played at the Garden. Uh, yes. in, in the coming years, and I think we're we're, you know, we're already we're there. It's it's happening. Uh, you know, they they look like they've got control of this Cavs series. Uh, and I'm really I'm I'm so curious how how they are going to match up with uh you know probably Miami at this point. I, I think that series. That's an interesting matchup, in terms, of, in terms of atmosphere, I think yeah. that would be an incredible series. Yes, yes. Like, put, give me Jimmy Butler at the Garden. Please and please and thank you. Um, all right, we're going to take a, a quick uh, break. Uh, we'll come back to answer some more questions, talk a little bit about the, the Bears and headed to the draft with 
Aaron Rodgers, uh, a New York Jet. Um, and uh, we've got, we had a surprising number of Oakland A's fans write in to be sad about uh, their team leaving because a lot of teams have been uh, leaving Oakland uh, uh, recently. So um, if you're a Waypoint Plus subscriber, you're just going to skip to the other side of this. And if you're listening on the main feed, you subscribe to Waypoint Plus, you get to listen to this early and don't have to listen to ads. You just get some chill music. So we'll be right back after the break. boring. Take a tackle in the first round. Just find good pieces, and I, I'll be, I'll be uh, perfectly uh, content. Um, the the big thing kind of coming uh, into this. Actually, before we get to Aaron Rodgers, just before we leave the Bears behind, um, I have this uh, here as a bullet point. Rob, someone wrote in. Uh, this happened a couple of weeks ago. Are you aware of the Bears analytics cylinder? No. Okay, I'm gonna need you to. I'm gonna need you to click on this. Link. Click on this link. So the Chicago Bears released a video um, that was uh, like a behind the scenes of like uh, how the trade happened with the Carolina Panthers, where they went from one to 13. Um, and also how the Bears, like a number of teams are turning towards uh, like having internal analytics people that are helping them figure out um, what trades to, to do, what players understanding value in a way that's more than like. I, I think that guy looks like a good football player, like the, looking at underlying metrics that tell a different story. And so um, like, uh, if you scroll down here a little bit, Rob, like, yeah, you can see from this video is like a slide that is shown in which um, I wish I could see the, the, the overall photo. Oh, here it is. Uh, if you scroll all the way uh, down here. Okay. Uh, Height. Body fat percentage, weight, arm, mm-hmm. wing. So physical attributes. Yes. Uh, and then speed, uh, short shuttle, three cones. So like technical like tests they do with the combine. Both of these metrics feed on the <laughs> this is the PowerPoint ass. Like also PowerPoint <laughs> done two hours before the presentation. <laughs> yes. uh, both these lines of the, these are just black circles uh, that are that they're each in a separate frame. Both of them feed into a beige orange cylinder with a bear's like logo ping slapped on it that says analytics yep and then and that produces an a score from zero to hundred um uh so you know and like i think the most problematic part of all this might be that at the at the bottom here we got the bears a score leaders um justin fields 
Chase Claypool, who at this point might be a complete waste of a second round pick and might not be on the team a year from now. And Bayless Jones Jr., who was drafted and he was already like 24 or 25 years old. And the best thing he did on the Bears last year was muff a bunch of punts because then essentially be relegated to doing nothing on the team and they spent a third round pick on him. So I'm hoping that maybe there's been some tweaks to the algorithm since since the like uh, uh since all this but the the analytics cylinder which is like I get it you're it I'm I'm sure this being produced by the analytics guy to explain analytics to non-analytical people like is a process and you're and you're breaking this down I can see well, how you arrive really, at the bears cylinder know, honestly pat this the slide is alarming if this <laughs> is like if anyone needs to see this who's involved in a modern football operation, this is a concerning slide. Because I don't, I don't know. Like, I think you are I think you are I think you are over uh I th- I think I think you're giving too much credence to how advanced some meathead level coaching staffs might still be in in the NFL. Like I I admire your optimism, but the cylinder is well, but, goofy, but also, but, but also, I think, but here, but no, but the, like the other thing concerns me, Patrick, is I think if you can't, like, I need to know what's happening in that analytic cylinder because, mm-hmm. you, like, I think if you have a process where, like, you have a quant team that's like, and then we do our sauce and yeah. we 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 put out a number and that's going to guide your decision. Effectively, the decision is being made in an ad- analytical framework that you are like you know, presumably that you don't think I can understand mm-hmm. and maybe I can't, but also at the same time, like if your analytical framework isn't solid, then that little cylinder is going to steer you wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, like it, some games are easy to break down into e or easier to break down into stats and be deterministic in that way. I don't know. The football is that game. Yep. The stonks, the analytics <laughs> cylinder with the stonks being Ryan Paul's perfect. Uh, anyway, so we'll, we'll see what, what happens. Uh, the, the Bears had a lot of a lot more poker chips to play with uh, in this draft. We'll know a better sense of the team um, in, in a week or so. So we'll hopefully have a chance to, to revisit that um, back then. But, you know, uh, although it is not, uh, du- you know, directly about the Chicago Bears and their team construction, but is certainly related to our emotional heartbreak over the years, the uh, Green Bay Packers and the New York Jets finalized a trade that will now formally send Aaron Rodgers uh, to New York to become their quarterback. Um, uh, I believe uh, the, the Jets got a they swap picks uh, with the Jets moving from like 13 to 15 or something like that. Um, they uh, have a second round pick next year and then they have a conditional second round pick that becomes a first round pick if Aaron Rodgers plays 65% of the snaps. I, I, he played something like 95% of the snaps last year. So that is most likely, unless he does a about face on retirement, is going to become a first round uh, pick, which is a lot more than I thought you would give up for a player who said, I'm not playing for the team I'm on anymore. You weren't negotiating with anybody else. But the Jets, by virtue of making no other moves and giving them any sort of other insurance policy, and Zach Wilson is not it, and Mike White, the guy that was kind of like showed some flashes last year, he signed elsewhere. Um, they essentially had to pay whatever Green Bay was asking, um, and so for them to come out of 
this situation where like they clearly are just done with the player and pretty much all the Packers fans I know are also have like just done like very happy for what he's brought him over the years, but just are just done with his bullshit and happy to watch him go talk about jet fuel and like whatever else he's going to do in, in New York. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the concluding thought I would sort of have is I have complicated feeling like it's I'm happy to see him go. He is, he has made my life miserable as a bears fan for, Many, many years, but there is something a little bit deflating about the fact that we just never got a chance to beat him. It's just sort of he's gone, and oh no, Patrick. it doesn't make the Bears good necessarily. It just they had the chances, Rogers. they just never did. And I I know. Mean, it's like the Bears will never slay this dragon. The dragon laid waste to the kingdom and then flew off. <laughs> like, at least at the Lions have the emotional and psychological satisfaction of knocking their asses out of the playoffs at Lambeau. Like that. I mean, I guess as a division, the lions did what I wanted the bears to do. And it's not like the lions have exactly had incredible success against the Packers. So as a collective psychological experiment, the lions did what I I wanted my team to do. And like, like made his last pass as a Packer be much like, Brady's last pass as a as a New England Patriot, which I think Brady's last one was a like throwing a pick six in a playoff game against the Titans. And then Rogers last pass as a Green Bay Packer is just whipping up a Hail Mary that was intercepted in the final seconds of the game after a pretty dismal performance in the fourth quarter. I I think like, yes, the Lions, whether or not like obviously it was not decisive, the you know, the. Rogers Packers marriage was unraveling before that game, but I think the Lions will always be able to feel like they were the ones who sent them brought the cur- They brought the curtain down on the era. They didn't just bring, yeah. the, you know what I mean? They didn't just like, like eliminate them from playoff contention, but they like sealed that there was going to be no putting this back together for one more year. The right. Rogers and the Packers were done. And, and the way he walked off of that field where he didn't sign, like sign and swap jerk, like he didn't do sort of the ceremonial stuff that is normally associated with the end of a game, especially the end of a season. And, you know, Rodgers is one of those players that he's a complete weirdo, but there are so many young players in the league that you always see him getting swarmed because they, they grew up like they are playing football in part because of someone like an Aaron Rodgers. And that final game, he like, you know, found Randall Cobb or whoever like guy it was still like that like he had managed to get signed to the team and said let's get out of here bro well, and this is you know it, it is so striking in the degree to which um like I don't think Rodgers was full of it when he said it really bothered him how the Packers treated some of the old like standbys mm-hmm. uh you know and I think part of it is this is a guy who's like closest associates are the guys he's played with, right? And increasingly, yeah. he just wants the people around him he likes. Yeah, and like, which is which is, I think, kind of a bleak place to be, right? Because mm-hmm. like, uh, football is a great place to find fellowship, but not enduring friendships in a lot of cases because it is such a like most people don't last long in the league. Uh, it's very transactional. It's very very hard nosed. And Rogers is at this point in his career, and he was. I think I don't know, you know, who he's managed to sell the Jets on, but he was pretty open about like I wasn't dictating the Jets have to pick up certain players. I was just letting them know what I thought. But I I absolutely believe he really wants the Jets to like hey like get a few of my stablemates in here. You know, I I really I really feel better with like seeing some of my guys 
down the down the line of lockers. Well, I think a lot of those players. Uh, I think you saw this as uh, when Brady left, right? Where for a certain age of player, a veteran that is proven, they saw Brady, you know, essentially become a pseudo GM, right? Like LeBron, yeah. you know, famous, maybe not famous, infamously, because I think LeBron, the GM, has not been all that successful. But you saw like Brady leave New England. Uh, and then a team bending over backwards to op- crack open the window as far as possible in order to, and also getting what this player wanted. The whole idea was like this experiment doesn't work unless this player is happy and thriving, like personally, emotionally, psychologically. And the Packers just never seemed interested in doing that for Rodgers. And that that seems to have been a significant, you know, it's part of what Russell Wilson like departing the Seahawks and betting on himself in in Denver and like 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 failing spectacularly, but I think you have seen these players who reach a certain point in their career and want to follow the Brady model of I need I want to go to a team and have a team completely surrounded around me for two to three years, and I may leave that team like devastated at the end, but in theory they get a championship out of it and can and that can be what the fan base takes as. Um, satisfying uh and i think rogers like wants that he he managed to kind of do that to two teams i mean that that final contract he signed with green bay like really messes with their cap for at least the next year or two and then well, the, jets are, the jets end up eating yeah i don't know what the final numbers are out and I, there's been talk that uh rogers is going to agree to some sort of restructure to to make things but i you know he has not shown a whole lot of interest in helping either of the teams that um, he's currently associated with. And so, my, you I know, wouldn't. well, yeah, well, exactly. I mean, so that's one of those things where I can't even really hold it against Rogers. It's a, sal- all, all it's a salary cap league like this. You know, you figure know what I mean? it out. It's, it's like it's not on me to it's not on me to help you. No, uh, no one made no one made the Packers sign that contract with Rogers. Right. Like you uh, you drew up the terms and agreed to it with him as abhorrent as they as they were at a time when it was already looking like is this relationship healthy right Um, right and it was like i guess the football equivalent is of a maybe a kid will fix it is maybe a big contract will fix it (laughs) yeah right 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 uh so yeah i i you know um i i don't now i'm like emotionally in a weird weird place where am i am i am i rooting for does rogers now go to a place where i can Watch him as a player. And I'm like, mostly I, I'm mostly really curious because yeah. there's a part of it would love to see him face plant because he's been such kind of a a weird and provocative guy and like unlikable in a lot of ways. Absolutely. But I did love watching him when he was at his best. The best version of Aaron Rodgers was a really fun player to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, he was real maestro there. Uh, you know, at at quarterback. And there's a little part of me that would really enjoy seeing it actually turn out that like. Oh, yeah, he was just done in Green Bay. But like, I don't know, maybe a bit of the, you know, that chip on his shoulder and the spite stuff actually does produce a last like flare of the dying star in in New York. That would be it would be pretty funny if Aaron Rodgers just had like one last career season, uh, you know, taking the Jets to the promised land. I mean, it's one year away from back to back MVPs and. Obviously, I think Lafleur is a good coach. Like, had a, a really good scheme for the age of the player that was like complimentary when Rodgers would play ball with it. Um, yeah. But he's not like, yeah, he looked like he had lost a step 
last year, but it's not as like well, sometimes his arm looks kind of gone. That's the real concern. Um, yeah, but I don't think it's not like a man. It's not a noodle yet, right? Like it's not. No, it's, it's not. not like it's Manning. not. It's not Russell Wilson like struggling right. to get it uh, ten yards downfield uh, with any sort of velocity. It's more like the thing that made. Uh, <laughs> to use a video game metaphor, um, Rogers at his best was the op in Counter Strike, right? The like laser beam weapon, one shot kill, lethal at every range, no fall off. When he threw those deep passes, that was what it was like. Is you know that ball is going to cover you know thirty yards in the air, and it's going to land on a guy's hands, and it's yeah. going to be it's going to be perfect. And now. Even his better throws sometimes, just the air bar around them is larger, right? That like the receiver now needs to have a larger catch radius to make this work and probably can't hit take it in stride the way he used to. And so there's a lot of there, there's a lot of things that used to let Rogers stretch a defense to the breaking point that uh he's now much less capable of. Yeah, my ideal scenario, which is this is not how life has worked out for me as a Bears fan so far, is obviously Rogers face planning in New York and just spiraling out spectacularly. Although that just seems so mean to Jets fans. I don't think Jets fans have earned that. Like I kind of want them to be a little happy. Like they have been yeah. on the QB carousel in a way that we have also been. Like it's been a long time since they've like they've had two back-to-back first round busts. But like taking that out like watching Rodgers face plant and then the like the Packers like having Jordan Love be just a complete mess this year. Like I don't think it's gonna be a mess, but like nothing more than like six, seven wins. Like that would bring me happiness. Like I I want to watch the Packers be what the Patriots have turned into. Like I think they're that te- the infrastructure there is too strong for a full on like three win season, and the, the 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 team that is currently there, the players they have, isn't gonna really allow that. And Lafleur is smart enough to prevent it from happening. But you could also join the rest of us in mediocrity. Like, go look at the Patriots. Like, they're not an awful team post-Brady, but they're not fun or interesting, and they're not going anywhere. And it's like, cool, you made it to the wild card round just to lose. Like, welcome. Well, this is where I've been my whole life, and uh, I'll just be endlessly curious. Now I have, have, you know— Poking the bear, so to speak, here, Rob, does introduce a whole lot of options for this to go poorly for for you and I. But like this is, you know, we're in the the period where I can wish, I can dream, I can I can wonder of a paradise where they don't get three back to back Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Just two, just two. I'll take half of one. Can I have like half of a Hall of Fame quarterback? <laughs> like I don't need a full one. Like a Jersey um, retirement for Fields. Yeah, but not a Hall yeah, of Fame, that's but good. Like, yeah. yeah. Thanks yes. for that Super Bowl or right, like thanks give, for that three years in the conference championships. Yes. Uh, like, yes. Yeah. Era en- enough to think maybe like, you know, they're going to put something up for him at the at the new stadium. Um, Sorry, your usage rate did to you what happens to running backs. <laughs> yeah. God, that cannot happen again this year. Um, uh, very briefly, the, the Cubs, uh, which I know that you don't uh, you are maybe just starting to think about watching uh, baseball, but the. Uh, the Cubs, as I had pitched to you and we were uh, playing MLB The Show, was that uh, they were not expected to be a, a great team, but had uh, a real chance to be a pretty good team. And they have uh, been that uh, so far uh, this year. Um, this stat that is delightful, it's from uh, a couple of days back, but in the uh, uh, 
2022, the Cubs scored 10 plus runs in a game six times. The 2023 Cubs have scored 10 plus runs in a game six times through the first 20 games. Uh, some of that led by uh, Patrick Wisdom, who has been a kind of up and down uh, player for them, but is at least as a, like, like a week ago was tied for the most home runs to the start of the league and has been like a huge part of them uh, um, being good. And so they are they are worth putting on. They are a fun team uh, to watch. Uh, and it has now led to like as the 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 baseball world collectively looks to see if Otani will be available. He is uh, very unlikely to be re-signed by the Angels, but the whether he is traded at the trade deadline depends on uh, whether the Angels are in playoff contention or not. That is apparently the kind of the line the Angels are putting uh, in the sand for themselves. Um, and it is now because the Cubs have a really, really good farm system. They have a too many players. Like that's what you that's where you want to be. It's been part of the theory of the case in the last couple of years of like why they traded what they traded. And broadly speaking, other than uh what's his face that went to the Yankees? Uh I'm I'm blanking. Um Rizzo Rizzo? Rizzo. Like Rizzo has been the only one that has had a meaningful post Cubs uh, uh career. Like everyone else has had various degrees of Gee, I guess they sold at the kind right of vindicates time. the selling high. Thesis. Yeah, it was em- yeah. emotionally hard, but um, they're you know they're they may be proven right on on what they were what they were doing from a team management perspective, and because of that, like the Cubs are in a potential position if they wanted to to have the assets to make the kind of historic trade that MLB the show continually denied us <laughs> as we attempted to force a trade for Otani. So. Uh, yeah, Rob, if you are looking to start watching more baseball, especially as, as the, there are fewer basketball games, um, on, uh, you, you could do worse than to put the, the Cubs on, uh, every, every once in a while. Um, before we get to your, uh, questions, uh, I did want to touch on, uh, the, uh, surprising number of Oakland A's fans that wrote in to the podcast because this week, um, it was announced that the Oakland A's, much like the Raiders, uh, are leaving uh, Oakland uh, behind to build a stadium in Vegas in the same sort of vicinity uh, as uh, as as the Raiders. Um, the the A's are famously have had a really bad, dis- disgusting stadium um, for a while, and it's been a long protracted dispute with Oakland to try and figure out how exactly um, the the team would figure out a new stadium. The A's are also, we got into this with, with Jason um, on the previous podcast where we talked about baseball in which they are one of those teams that is bad and spending absolutely nothing. So this is from, uh, uh, you know, about a week or so ago, but um, the A's land agreement comes at a time when management and ownership have given up building a respectable roster at the big league level. Oakland entered Thursday with a 3-16 and record on the season having been outscored by 86 runs or about 4.5 per contest. The A's opening day payroll was a laughable $60 million, the lowest uh, in the majors. Um, and as a part of this new stadium pursuit that's been happening since 2009, um, there was a CBS Sports article that mentioned, this is wild. Like, I didn't even know this was a thing that the league could could do. But they wrote, um, at one point, it appeared that the, the A's had made progress toward a ballpark in Oakland located at the Howard Terminal site. Obviously, that deal never came into fruition. MLB had set a January 2024 deadline for a stadium deal. In the past, the A's have been weaned off revenue sharing as a means of forcing the issue. Like the notion of them leveraging 
TV rights and like revenue sharing to get them to have a stadium that the league is not embarrassed by is just not something I have heard of before. No, I did not know that could happen either. But it was about the stadium, not the fact that the team wasn't like fielding. <laughs> no, cr- yeah, crucially, it is not about the product on the field. Although the two may be intertwined uh, in theory. Yeah, because huh. like that is a um, like that, that would just be infuriating. That like they're sitting there being like, "Hey, give us the share of the league that people like the money the league is making from teams that are actually competing," uh, and they're just like. You know, squatting effectively. Yes. And I, you know, I don't, you know, we're obviously, I am like thinking a lot about stuff like this because of the stadium that's supposed to go up. Yeah. You know, sometime in the next like five to seven years, like not far from where I live. But, uh, I, you know, I don't know enough about this relationship between Oakland and the A's specifically. Like, is this a case where the Oakland like stood their ground and said, look, we will participate, we will put in money, but we are not going to be one of those cities that like go essentially bankrupts like our local schools to keep a team. And they have had back-to-back instances of the, the of the Raiders leaving and of the A's leaving, and specifically going to Las Vegas um, over this. So I don't know how much to credit Oakland for like drawing the line. And if that's if that's true, you know, I applaud them and I'll be very curious to see how Illinois and like the surrounding northwest suburbs, there's like a handful that are all going to be kind of impacted it, even though Arlington Heights is going to be the, the city that it, the, the stadium is technically built in. Um, or is it just that like Oakland's like, you know, city hall infrastructure was just not able to. I, I don't know. But I, I guess at the end of the day, like I applaud it from a philosophical standpoint because. I don't think states and cities should be bending over backwards for these stadiums. But I also, as I'm going to read a couple letters here, you know, like feel awful for like fans who like have grown up around uh, teams like this, even as bad as they are. Um, this comes from uh, the unlimited hag on, on Twitter. Uh, the Oakland A's are my team growing up. I find myself wanting to switch to a new hometown team, the Mariners, uh, but feel like I'm betraying a big part of me. How do you talk yourself into cutting ties to the team you grew up with? What do I do with all my merch? Thanks for the laughs. I don't know what you do with the merch. You like maybe, oh, the merch maybe, you keep because it com- because it gets cooler now. Uh, because that's true. It's like a, it's merch for a bygone franchise. Uh, it's a signal of a, like a loyalty to a to a better time. Um, what do you what do you make of the what do you do with your personal loyalty? Do you transfer cities? I feel like the Raiders have more or less successfully. I, I can't talk. I can't, I, like it's it seems like they've maintained it. Like the the, the Raiders have also the Raiders as a franchise. Are a weird case. They've yeah, jumped around, right? Like they've been in Oakland. They've been in Los Angeles. So like in, in Vegas, the Ra- they're kind of a the transplant. The Raiders have this really difficult... Uh, the Raiders were never actually the most popular team in their area. And while they had... Kind they of had like a, a Clippers situation, Oakland, right? Yeah. The the, uh, the Niners were the team of Northern California. And the Raiders actually had a bigger fan base in LA. And mm-hmm. like that has always been the case. And so they've always had a bit more of a... Um, like Raider Nation has not really been located in one city. It's actually a nation. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is. Um, so I think the Raider is an odd case, and it sort of made sense that they would like go out to Las Vegas, a you know city of transplants, and a place that a lot of people who were Raiders loyalists would like feel excited to travel to uh, and and watch the Raiders. That's a good point. That made a lot of sense. The A's are a different thing. The A's are. 
deeply entwined with Oakland and yeah. the East Bay. But they've also disgraced themselves and they have like pretty publicly burned the franchise down and left the le- left the fans feeling pretty not just like I think in addition to the like the team pulling up stakes and leaving, the team stopped caring if anybody showed up and actively was kind of trying to indicate like look this team this town won't support us uh like i i think i think it's a it's a different dynamic where this is a very messy divorce because the a's tried to hold a gun like tried to tried to like wheedle a stadium out of the city couldn't and then at the same time they just stopped paying for a good ball team and yeah and, i mean like, like this we we have this other letter that was written by someone anonymous says, are you aware of how horrible the A's owner John Fisher is? Have you looked into how he refused to pay minor leaguers their food money during COVID? Have you learned about how they sold off all their young talent last year and then doubled season ticket prices and then blamed the fans for not showing up? Have you read into the A's negotiating strategy at the city of Oakland, which is borrowed from the Musk school of I'll just say whatever the fuck I want and hope I can bully people into it. How does one move on from your childhood sports team moving away? How do you handle the grief of the stadium you used to cut glass from high school and get stoned in the third deck, no longer being available for new generations of stoner high schoolers? How do you find sports love again? Like this does, I think you are right to point out this feels like a uniquely cruel situation. Like the Raiders, that is a, we've talked about this before, like a cash poor rich person owns the Raiders, right? Like, they are rich in that they own the Raiders, but they are a team that is often limited because the asset they have is the Raiders. And it really feels like, although it was, you know, maybe upsetting for, you know, residents of Oakland to watch the team go. I've been to that stadium. It's fucking awesome. Like it, it's again, it's like a dive bar as a stadium having to go through like the barbed wire to get to the BART. It's it's a like top 10 experience I have had at like a sports. It's one of the rare times where I got to saw the bears win. Usually I see the bears lose when I go and I got to see them beat, beat the Raiders. It was, it was sick. And I'm so glad that I got to experience that stadium um, once, but I feel like, yes, these situations have had back to back, but there seems to be something particularly cruel and mean about how the A's have ground their fan base into dust. And then now are just also leaving. Yeah, it's um really salty in the air. That's this is I didn't know about some of this. Uh, you know, screwing the minor leagues over during COVID. Um, yeah, it's it, it's it's horrible. But I think here's the thing that the sadness in this email touches on the sadness I have, which is that um, you know, not to not not to be like you know like needlessly evoke marks, but this this idea of becoming increasingly like alienated from uh like capitalist organiz- institutions right then mm-hmm. like teams now are increasingly just corporations that move to where the incentives are good and they sell media deals but the notion that they are actually like meaningfully tied to communities is becoming more and more well notional and part of it is i'm going to miss things like i don't think uh i i don't think Niners games have felt the same way at all since they stopped playing in San Francisco. I agree. Um, like it's just like it's a different, it's a different vibe. Uh, like we're just not going to see more stadiums like Candlestick, uh, where like the game is in the heart of the, the heart of the city. Uh, like increasingly everything is like 
you drive out to a like suburban or exurban location to go see the team. Uh, it's got this little like mini mall food court vibe, uh, which is I've, outlying I've seen the pitches. That's like what the Bears want to do yeah. out here, and I, and that might be a better viewing experience. That might be a better stadium by some measures, but like it's not going to feel the same at all as like when you were in the you know nosebleeds of Soldier Field and you're looking around the Chicago skyline as like the wind comes shrieking in off the lake. It's 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 just a different thing. Have you ever gone you to a like Have you ever gone to a Giants game? Uh, no. Like the, the the way that stadium is like right. Sorry, on, uh, baseball or football? Oh, baseball. Friends. Sorry. Yeah. Um, like that stadium. Like if you've ever you know if you go look it up, like like it's right on the water. Like it, yeah. and and you. When you walk to there, you go through all these different neighborhoods in the city and you clearly start picking up Giants fans like along the way. And, you know, it's got like people in boats outside in like the harbor, like trying to catch balls that like make it out of the stadium. It's like I cannot fathom that team and its aesthetic and how it fits into not just like the the team, like as a culture of the city, but like the architecture of that building in the city like is intertwined with my memories of San Francisco, even though I do not give a shit about the Giants as a, as a, as a franchise. And I think stuff like that speaks to exactly what you're talking about. That is increasingly dropped off where it's like, yeah, you got your Kyle Shanahan and like the 49ers are always going to be like a, a force when you watch it on TV. But in terms of like its presence in like the community, like it just doesn't exist anymore. No stadium doesn't feel like anything. Um, Whereas like, the yeah, the Giants still feel like they're of San Francisco. Yes. Uh and like I think the move toward locating more sports in Vegas, it does feel like uh you know, Vegas is a huge city that's never had any franchises. It's a very weird thing where like the entire city is sort of treated as this like casino company town, but like it's a huge growing community. Mm-hmm. Uh like Obviously, a, a a very good market for for a sports team. People deserve to have something to go see and go to go see sports. But there is an element of like we are going to rip a lot of existing. We're going to rip these existing franchises away from the communities that they've been brought up in, and just locate them here because it's a growing market. Which you know has always been the story in these franchises. But where I was going with this is. Something that I think, you know, um, what this letter writer is bringing up, most people grow up in a place where there is no local team that you can easily go see. Uh, you know, living living in Boston on the T, yeah, it's very easy to go see a Red Sox game. Uh, Bruins, it, it technically very easy, but also it's very expensive to go get seats at TD Garden uh, for the Bruins or the Celtics. But most people grow up and live in places where there is no local team. There is no cutting class to go see uh, a major pro sports team. And I think the thing that I really envy like soccer fans is that soccer is a game that yes, they're the highest levels of these national leagues, but then you do have the, and I think this is why people are so fucking charmed by welcome to Wrexham. Mm -hmm. It's this vision of what sports used to be in a lot of places, Mm -hmm. which was you go to your local club and it was a thing to do when you, uh, you know, cut class or call in sick to work or, you know, had a afternoon to kill on a weekend. And that's not how sports are now in, in the United States. That's just not what most of us get. And I think 
we justifiably feel like something's missing when that's taken away. I never had it because I grew up in the suburbs. I'm a Bears loyalist, but right. I, I never had the experience of I'm going to go see the Bears. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, I'm with you. That's I think that's a it's a very interesting dynamic that is yeah increasingly playing playing out here. Um, this comes in from Jenna in Appleton, Wisconsin. Uh, hey, sportsman, Jenna. Well, from Appleton, Wisconsin here. I've been thinking about rule changes lately. Last week, Dota 2 released a long-awaited update. While fans were expecting something big, we certainly weren't prepared for what we actually got. They made the map 40% bigger, reworked items and characters that have been game-defining for over a decade, and added a million little things that changed the flow of a game. Long story short, calling this update Dota 3 would not have been unwarranted. The fun twist here is that this update released in the middle of a large tournament, 36 hours before the final stages. I want to point out to the audience, Rob is currently shaking their head in abject horror. The game that teams have been playing for weeks in the group stages had changed entirely. It was wild and exciting watching players at the highest level, essentially learning in real time, and was some of the most fun I've ever had watching sports, electronic or otherwise. Meanwhile, the MLB has implemented its new pitch clock rule. Shaking up the pace of play and watching the teams adjust has been fascinating. On that note, what are some of your favorite or least favorite rule changes across sports? Thanks. Fuck capitalism. Go, Pack, go. Well, I hopefully you feel better about your... Uh, Jenna, write in. Let us know how you feel about your, your pack now. But before we get into if you have any favorite or well, not... Jenna favorite, can we'll always go to an LU Vikings game, and they put on a show, too. <laughs> um, this Dota... That Dota... Like, when I read this, it was just like, that is... Seems ill-advised. <laughs> it's... Man, the way Valve operates things is so fucking funny to me it is so like i i didn't i didn't i never followed dota as closely um i there was a time i think i would have heard about this i'm surprised i didn't hear about this because like the chaotic energy of this seems really wild side note patrick it's time for you and i to learn dota apparently (laughs) because like now nobody knows what's going on it's true it's true it's true but it is so funny when i think about like so like so frequently people running competitive games they do like there's all these little like rituals of abasement to go over the community do you, here's some changes we're thinking about mm-hmm. like here's the logic behind them would this be fun do you think like do you see where we're coming from and Valve's just like Eh, Dota needed a rework. Uh, here, here you go. Uh, have you know? Have we, at we it. scheduled the patch for this date, and it's the fact that it happened during a tournament is just. I mean, that's just what happens sometimes. Yeah, it's it's very funny uh, to to see if they can just do this. Uh, that that's terrific. I'd be very uh, curious to know. Like, I know that Jenna, as an observer, seemed to really enjoy how this played out, and as a uh, uh, someone in favor of chaos, I, I am also rooting for for things like this. But I do wonder what the broader takeaway was of dropping it in this fashion. Like chaos is chaos and chaos can be fun. But is the lesson at the end of it, this was a poor way to run a tournament um, and have a change like this roll out. I don't know. But I do think and as as Jenna you know, mentioned about like the pitch clock, there is, I think, definitely such a reluctant reluctance in sports. Um Games, and you can apply this to video games that get sort of established to meaningfully shake things up and find ways of changing the game uh, to to make it, if, if not more entertaining, at least more interesting and different. And 
Um, I, I think like I'm a huge fan of the the changes that MLB uh, has has made, and I think it's made it a more fun sport to watch. Um, and I, I think I think more more you know more sports could certainly learn from from something like that, even if I don't expect it to actually happen. Like I guess the like I don't know how much the NBA changes its rules year to year. I'm, I'm paying less attention to that uh, than I am in football. But like football is changing its rules constantly. And mostly it just seems like for the worse. Like the kinds of tweaks they're making has now made it that in football, on a fundamental level, a lot of the game is throw a ball, catch a ball. Well, you caught the ball, you did it. Like go on to the next play. And football is just not that simple anymore. And I know that betrays the complexity of what it means to catch a ball when you have instant replay. And like maybe instant replay has actually been like broadly speaking, one of the worst things introduced into football because sometimes just let the spectacular play that bounced off the ground <laughs> just go. Um, like I'm thinking of that Eagles catch that happened early in one of the playoff game like rounds where I think it was the 49ers could have challenged it, but they didn't. And the Eagles player clearly bounced the ball. Yep. Like, and it was like, man, who cares? <laughs> like, like just like sometimes letting a few of those get through, I think would be better for the game entirely. Yeah, there, there's a lot of times like I, I also think, like I would I would love if the, there was sort of a culture of like, hey, maybe just pick up that flag if this didn't affect the play and something awesome happened. Like how like, cool was that? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. there was a block to the back during a return, but the block happened like 15 yards off the ball. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. Yeah, that guy wasn't gonna make that tackle. Mm-hmm. Let's let it stand. Uh, I I think football like, you know, when I started when I was growing up, uh, football didn't have the two point conversion. Uh, like, mm-hmm. you know, that mm-hmm. came from college, uh, and it was clearly a better game for, for having that role. Uh, so like, that's probably my go-to example of like, you, you took a part of the game that was like routinely kind of boring and meaningless and you turned it into a potential for both interesting decisions and also real drama when like you need that two point conversion to like get the comeback. Yeah. When does the, when does the three point spot get added to basketball? Uh, this was like a seventies thing, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and you still have, yeah, guys like Bob Ryan, other like you know, uh, it still means it was a poor idea, uh, because the like we'll we'll argue that like the shot is simply not difficult enough, uh, to justify like the way it is completely changed the way the game operates. Mm-hmm. That, uh, of course, eventually we were going to get to this point where someone would do the math and realize like, oh wait, you're better off eating the slight reduction in shot percentages, shooting beyond the three for the extra point, uh, that we're always going to hit that point, uh, that, that sort of inflection point. And what it has led to is a lot of, uh, like kind of dull track me basketball. Um, yeah, I wonder, yeah, I wonder if they're now that we're hitting the period where Curry has been in the league long enough to influence a generation of young kids who would want to emulate his style of play. And like, I, like I think Curry, you know, really epitomizes the like what is possible if you master the three point. Like, obviously, he is an outlier in terms of like talent and capability, but players like that are naturally going to then trickle down to what is the interest of younger kids and the style they want to emulate. Does ba- basketball is obviously fundamentally different than baseball in so many different ways, but I, one of the reasons baseball has implemented some of its changes, like for example, the like eliminating the defensive shift that was turning baseball into a home run or strikeout situation. Um, 
um, especially as pitchers are becoming more capable. Does basketball long term like introduce like that kind of scenario where you're just increasingly getting more and more players who are suited skill wise to shoot from three and just less ends up happening kind of like in the paint, so to speak. And that becomes like a broader problem for the actual like watching of basketball. I don't know. We're not anywhere near that yet, but like you can see over like a generational arc how stuff like that fundamentally changes how the game is played. Yeah, I do. I like, I certainly think it probably changes the regular season game. I think the the problem does self-correct a little bit in terms of eventually teams are converge on like, there's just going to be sort of a mean of three point shooting and there will, there will be outliers like, like Steph and clay, but by and large, like every team's going to have like players who are effective from, from three, like even DeMar DeRozan who famously couldn't hit threes. Like he's worked on it yeah. <laughs> and like he's hitting a much higher percentage than he was like two years ago. Right. Uh, the, uh, like, I think I think he's he's hitting a higher percentage, but the the point is, what teams are eventually discover is, especially in these like close series, these competitive series, it sure does get a lot easier to win if you can actually crack the defense open and get under you know get under the basket, and I think what the like the three point line kind of has, I think a lot of teams maybe got conditioned to if you don't see an open lane you just kind of pass the ball around then you shoot from three uh but you know against a team that can reliably open up the floor a bit that's not going to cut it um because they will also be able to shoot from three and they will be able to you know drive to the basket i think that's fair uh last question uh comes in from anonymous after more than a decade the cincinnati Bengals have changed their official chili sponsor from Gold Star to Skyline. What are your opinions on Cincinnati Chili? I know that Skyline is... F- I, famous. That's fame, but like, for a good reason? I don't know. Sky- I'm, a- I'm asking if you have any insight on, this, on the Skyline Skyline chili. is like synonymous with Cincinnati okay. Chili, but I'll be honest, like I don't have strong opinions because I forgot that it was Cincinnati Chili and not Cleveland Chili. <laughs> I forgot which of the two, like... It, uh, Patrick, my feeling on it is it is a deeply American food, and I think that is charming. Do all right. So, my when I think of chili, um, what comes to mind, I don't have opinions on Gold Star or Skyline, but it is maybe we've talked about this on Waypoint Radio. I can't tell this is like you know, sometimes what you talk about off air and on air mixes, and I can't remember what actually makes it into the podcast. But chili is a food that I do not associate with eating outside the confines of a house where it has been made. Like it is a food that my mom makes, my wife makes, I eat at a neighbor's house. It is rarely the case that I go to a restaurant and maybe it comes as a side. That is the the most where it'll happen. But I do not think in my life I've ever gone to a restaurant and looked at a menu and went time to have the chili. It is just not. This is true, Patrick. And I, and I do appreciate this perspective, but I think I need to interrupt. Okay. Because are you not familiar with what Cincinnati chili is? Hit me. You have to. You, I'm sorry. You're going to have to. I'm going to have to Google. I would give you this wiki. I have to give you this wiki. <laughs> I'm not opposed to it. This is just historically I've thought of. Like, I think you might be opposed to it. 
Good why Lord. Don't just, why don't you just how much, why don't you how just much tea off? Start reading from the top. Why don't you just start reading from the top? Cincinnati chili is a Mediterranean spiced meat sauce used as a topping for spaghetti or hot dogs. Both dishes were developed by immigrant restaurateurs in the 1920s. In 2013, Smithsonian named one local chili parlor one of the 20 most iconic food destinations in America. Cincinnati chili more closely resembles Greek pasta sauces and spiced meat hot dog topping sauces seen in other parts of the United... Oh, so this isn't... Is this chili? <laughs> yeah, so this is... So this you were talking about chili. Yeah. And I, I agree. I think everything you were saying was correct. Uh, it is something different in Cincinnati. Whoa. Okay. And it looks like a train wreck. But Rob, is this when people? Okay, when I get this Cincinnati's deep dish. Yes, yes. When I get offended, when people are like, "Oh, here's your fucking bucket of slop that's got cheese on it." Oh, your lasagna, and then I get mad. (laughs) And and there's two things. One is you and I both know that like the deep dish pizza is not like the pizza of Chicago. Like uh-huh. people eat it. It's, it's in Chicago. But like yes. when you order pizza, you're not ordering deep dish usually in, in Chicago. No, like, it's, a tur- it's a tourist thing. Yeah. Or I order but it when two, people are out of town. But it is a special treat because yes. like if you go to Pequod's. Which I took is, you to. That is yes. a delicious fucking pizza. That yes. is a great dish. Yes. And I don't care if it's like is it pizza. It's It's weird, but it's delicious. And mind you, Patrick, like, I am not judgmental. My heart is open to so many things. But I look at the Cincinnati chili. And where the Chicago-style deep dish kind of makes sense to me. Uh-huh. This kind of doesn't in a way that, like, doesn't appeal necessarily. And I think it's the fact that, like... Rob, oh, my God. This Okay, Loke, from the Wikipedia page. Locals typically eat Cincinnati chili. As if it were a casserole, cutting each bite with the side of the fork instead of twirling the noodles. <laughs> your head is in your hands. I mean, you'd have to. <laughs> like. <laughs> yeah, this is. Uh... Anthony Bourdain called it. And I don't know if this is a compliment or not. The story of America on your plate. That's beautiful. That's. So Bourdain's entire Cincinnati episode is a winner. I believe that is also the same episode where he goes to an old Twinkies factory. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. And they find that the Twinkies filling is still filled in the pipes. Oh, uh, and it's no, so it's God. like shelf stable. So you can just like <laughs> stick your finger in a busted old pipe in the Twinkies factory and like there's Twinkies filling it's still good. Uh, but. Yes, I would agree that this is a, like, again, deeply American. This is a, like, sure, pasta, uh, whatever meat we got lying around. Hot <sighs> okay, dogs, here, okay, like, okay, so I know you're, this is revealing something about me, though, as I continue down this Wikipedia page, which says, similar dishes. And now they're listing one of my favorite dishes, which is the chili mac. Pasta, like mixing up chili and like like pasta is and not no, spaghetti noodles. It's usually actually like instead of making mac and cheese, we're we're taking leftover chili from chili that's been made before, putting that in with noodles. And I oh I I adore that. And so I'm starting to wonder, Rob. I don't know I if know. I need to open my heart. Maybe my my heart just wasn't aware of of the Cincinnati chili. 
you know, honestly, Patrick, you and I don't get to hang out enough. Uh, maybe we should lo- like there are certain like halfway points between like Boston and mm-hmm. Chicago mm-hmm. that we could probably like. Hey, you know, what'd be cool is like we catch a Bengals game uh, and we go have some like Cincinnati chili and we just like verify for ourselves what is going on. here. Oh, my God. Am I going to set like a Google flight alert for I'm going to, you know, my wife doesn't listen to this stuff. I was like, hey, they're doing like a. Um, a video game conference. A video game conference. In I got invited in Cincinnati. To, sorry, I need to. Uh, they're doing it on a Sunday. Uh, I need to fly out Saturday. Uh, oh my god, the idea of you and I at a Bengals game and also eating Cincinnati chili. What yeah. could be better than this? What What's better than this? <laughs> so, like, this is like I would like I haven't ever tasted this. It It looks like kind of a disaster, but also I could see it being good as hell. I just don't know. Like Rob, uh, Rob like four tall boys deep, and then just a Cincinnati chili in your lap. Oh well, so okay. Th- now here is what I know beyond doubt. <laughs> as I get drunker, the better this will be. Oh like, my god! This yes. is, like this looks like awesome drunk person food because it's like filling as hell. Yeah, ton of energy. Uh, like it, like yeah. That I'm sure that'll be awesome. Uh, the same way, like the same way, poutine is awesome, right? Absolutely, that's a good comparison. That's a good comparison. Oh wow, I think we just uh, okay. Uh, Vice, uh, what's the travel budget for going 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 to not good, Patrick? <laughs> but if we book it now, Rob, it's like yeah. it's it's months in advance. We're we're saving the company money. Well, if you uh, you know want to get ready for Waypoints, uh, uh, the Way- Waycon 2023 happening in uh, Cincinnati um, later this uh, later this year, uh, please uh, write in to uh, uh, gaming at uh, vice.com with the uh, uh, the title sports, uh, and we will uh, potentially uh, ask uh, your qu- answer your questions. Also, we put them out on on Twitter uh, before uh- we record. Just one last thing, Patrick. Yeah. I've sort of been going back and forth, like which Premier League team will I, will mm. I sort of get invested in? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was a little concerned because Arsenal was like clearly a fun team to watch, but like they were also like kind of running away with the championship. And I was like, do I want to be a bandwagon or something? But they're kind of collapsing late in the season. Ooh, a little. The other uh, day I watched them take on the worst team in the Premier League and get their asses kicked. Like it was like, did they know the game had started? Because uh, (laughs) Southampton was basically like flat on its back, like almost certainly going to be relegated at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. Like scored a goal basically five seconds into the game. And Arsenal tried to claw back, but they like they didn't get like completely destroyed, but they still lost against the team that they should have comfortably annihilated. And so now like their season is like steeply declining and suddenly I'm like, oh, I know this feeling. Maybe maybe Arsenal could be for me as a Bears fan. The mm-hmm. whole, like, how could you fumble the bag this way? Like, this was like, you had it locked. And now it's all coming undone. And the, uh, the Richie Rich franchise that we talked about before, Man City, mm-hmm. uh, is like steadily eating into their lead. And so I'm, I'm sitting there being like, Arsenal now does have a very familiar energy to it that Ooh. that that appeals. That's very good. Oh, well, you have to keep us uh, updated. As a, as, a, as a, are we building towards like wh- where are we at in the arc of a season? Like what is like We're coming what is down it? to it? Like the, the, okay. it's only a handful of games left. Uh, so that's that's part of what uh, was so disastrous about this loss is they have played more games than Man City. Mm-hmm. So they have fewer opportunities to put uh, points on the board uh, gotcha. for the for for the standings so like man city is on track to 
comfortably past them, I think, just given Ooh. performance. Interesting. Uh, in the meantime, before we return, um, you can follow Waypoint on Twitter at Waypoint, on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Waypoint, on YouTube at youtube.com slash waypointvice, and our writing at waypoint.vice.com. By the time you listen to this, do you want to read almost 3,000 words about a, uh, a monitor that curves? Don't you worry. Rob Zachney has got you covered over at waypoint.vice.com. Uh, this episode is premiering ad-free on Waypoint Plus, which you can subscribe to and gain access to early episodes, exclusive episodes, ad-free episodes, and more at waypointplus.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Patrick Kupik. Rob, how about you? Uh, you can follow me at Rob Zachney. You know, I guess Arsenal did tie that match against Southampton by the end. It was 3-3, but let me tell you, it didn't feel like a tie. <laughs> Until next time, fuck capitalism and bear down. Summer's just around the corner, so give your body the care it deserves with Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Created by infusing Andaria seaweed in barrels of botanical oils, it leaves skin silky soft and glowing. Plus, it's clinically proven to improve elasticity and deeply moisturize without feeling greasy. It's safe, clean, vegan skincare. Get 10% off your first order at oseamalibu.com with code GLOW, plus free shipping on orders over $60. 